The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 101 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed on the show are my own and not that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I have been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at the very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap of tonight's show and to get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, last week we had cybersecurity architect and security researcher Rich Wickersham on the show. I really love this episode, folks. The timing of it was perfect. Coming off the heels of LinkedIn's announcement of purging 21 million fake accounts, or 21 million accounts, both Twitter and Facebook are having the same problem. You know, Rich did a great job emphasizing the need for a trusted-based platform in cybersecurity. He explained how targeting occurs on social media platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter and how users can better protect themselves from adversaries who wish to exploit vulnerabilities in their profiles, as well as their professional lives. He went into detail on how bad guys can use targeted user analytics and AI models to mine unauthenticated users of LinkedIn to gather information and data that can later be used to blackmail them or attack the businesses they work for. Rich also gave his opinion on the recent announcement from LinkedIn and the purging of those accounts and his DEF CON talk as well. Um, he even touched on you know, how the uh, traditional model of social media attract, retain, and monetize is, is really just fading away. If you missed last week's episode, don't sweat it. Just go to your favorite playback medium and you can catch it anytime right at the top of the TF7 radio episode library. That's how adversaries are using social media for targeting on last week's episode. That's episode 100 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, if you're listening to us live on Voice America right now, or maybe someone just sent you a link to the episode, you might be wondering how you can listen to all of previous TF7 Radio episodes on playback. Just go to our new TF7 Radio site, www.tf7radio.com. Hit the episode tab at the top of the homepage. You can find all the TF7 Radio episodes at your fingertips. We are on at least 11 different playback mediums now. We made it easy for you to find them all. Just hit the subscribe button at the top right of the homepage, and you will see the entire selection of playback mediums. And most importantly, you can subscribe to our show right from the TF Radio website, which is the best way to stay connected to the TF7 family. So check us out, folks, www.tf7radio.com to hear our, any of our episodes at your fingertips 24-7, 365, anytime, anywhere around the globe. And as always, whatever you do, don't forget to subscribe. We love it when you subscribe. 
So we have another great guest for you this week, Vice President of North American Cybersecurity Practice for Capgemini, Mr. Drew Moorfield. Drew is here to give us the inside scoop on the life of cybersecurity sales and delivery. Drew leads the North American Cybersecurity Practice for Cap and has responsibility across consulting, managed security services, centers of excellence with a main focus on brand awareness, revenue generation and growth, profitability of the practice. Drew successfully launched the North, first North American Security Operations Center, built out satellite SOC in Dallas, has built a high-performing team who's focused on guiding customers securely through their digital transformation and building a solid brand for Capgemini in the North American cybersecurity market. Drew, in my opinion, Drew is an OG salesperson in cyber going way back to Digex and CA, uh, made the transition from there to GuidePoint, Capper, Verizon, Terramark. You're going to love you're going to love Drew. I'm excited to have him on the show today. It's my pleasure to welcome the Vice President of North American Cybersecurity Practice from Capgemini, Mr. Drew Morfield. Drew, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, brother. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate that. It's a good opportunity. Yeah, buddy. Look, you know, we've been friends for a long time. You've been cross-training in the cybersecurity space. You know, you've, uh, I got to admit, man, you've been all over the, you're like an OG sales guy from way back. I mean, you've been everywhere, Digex, MCI. CyberTrust, Verizon, I mean, you've hit them all, um, and, you know, and you're, you're killing it over a cap. It, Drew, just tell me a little bit, how, how did you get into sales? You know, it, um, I knew I was going to be in sales coming out of college. My father was vice president and ultimately executive vice president of sales in the printing space. Um, and so, you know, I, in essence, you know, kind of tripped out of college, knew I wanted to do sales, but didn't have an idea as to vertical focus or even solution focus. So I, I actually started in that particular industry because it's what I had the most intimacy with just coming up and, and listening to my dad's stories and how he went about solving issues. So some of that, I guess, was, was, was transferred well. Um, and then immediately got from kind of, you know, large, uh, volume, high transaction printing to more, um, strategic, uh, printing like on demand printing services for, um, you know, high end graphics that companies were exhibiting at trade shows or whatnot, all the way to, to training materials. Um, uh, and then after that was had my first opportunity. At, at that point, I knew, especially given the technology that was being leveraged behind um, the printing industry, which sounds extraordinarily boring just talking about it with you now, but um, the technology behind it was game changing and was allowing not only you know uh, that better quality products to be printed, but far far faster than than ever before. And so I I I found that fascinating and realized I wanted to make a pivot into technology specifically and so started with uh, with computer associates uh, initially as a customer relationship manager believe it or not I actually um, got my first true sales opportunity at uh, computer associates as an OS 390 mainframe license agreement manager so you know you never really liked talking to me back in the day. I that promise. sounds boring. <laughs> Knowing what you do now, like that's a big step up. You're a big step up, bro. <laughs> you, uh, you know, you you uh, you take a bite of bite of the elephants as as fast or as slow as you're you're given the opportunity to do so. So I I, I left at that and then ended up um, selling their their flagship product uh, Unison back in the day. Uh, which which Computer Associates was well known for, and, and that uh, 
opportunity at Computer Associates and some of the uh, extensions into the market and relationships that we had to go to develop for, for strategic business development. Um, I was introduced to some folks over at, uh, at Digex, and that, that kind of got me into the high-end uh, hosting uh, arena, uh, which eventually, through both relationships created and, and, and partnerships monetized, uh, ultimately led into uh, the cybersecurity space back in uh, 2007 timeframe. Look at you know as I look back and think about like our interactions and and you know our first you know real interaction you know with you in sales and me doing IR consulting back in the day, I mean you were just a true pro, you know back then and really understood how to navigate you know the customer relationship in really interesting times. You know I I got to ask you like you know the pressure you guys deal with with the the funnel targets you know all that stuff like. You know, there's a big difference between, you know, people who are really successful in sales and then just people who do sales, right? <laughs> so what, what, what have been the keys to success for you in sales? Wow. Um, you know, I, I think it sounds like such a common answer, but for me, um, I think it starts and stops with trust and, and credibility, which is gained through a myriad of things, but for me, it's it's what what respect can I show the person I'm getting ready to engage with, and how serious can I show through you know the, the level of prioritization that I'm managing and my engagement with them through the preparation and due diligence that I do. Right. So if I show up at the at the at the first meeting or at a critical conversation, whether it's contentious or whether it's inherently opportunistic, no matter what it is, if I show up and ask questions that I could have gotten the answer to 30 seconds after a Google search. How serious is this thing? And how important of an account, how important of an engagement, how important of a relationship is this? And so, you know, through consistent and relevant uh, preparation and engagement, I think that's where, you know, you can initiate or instigate and develop and foster trust and credibility. Um, and if you have that as a foundation, uh, as, as cliche or cheesy as this may sound, I, I, I honestly think the selling kind of, the, the, the selling motion becomes natural and the conversations, uh, if truly along those lines, become 100% value-oriented. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if, if I'm putting the, the cart before the horse here, but I, I think that would, you know, kind of take a leap to uh, where I fell short historically and until I matured and learned through engaging guys with, like you and others, you know, the, the, the areas where I see salespeople falling short, kind of stubbing their toes on a consistent basis, it's, it, it's a few for me. One is I am 100% fine knowing and, and, and managing a meeting and a conversation uh, like I'm not the smartest guy in the room because if I am, we're all in trouble. Right, so I try to surround myself by guys or or women who not only elevate me personally and professionally and challenge me and stretch me, but who can supplement me. Right, I think there's nothing wrong with you know purposeful separation of duty and relationship, and I can be the contract manager and the relationship manager and the deal maker, but ultimately I need you know individuals and others around me who know IR, who know forensics, who know data classification or risk classification or, or the laws of diminished levels of return and how that applies to my business. It's that that competency or that talent that I can bring in a relevant manner, 
focused on business challenges, which ultimately drives an amicable and mutually beneficial outcome, both for their business and, of course, you know, profitability or sustainability or predictability-wise from a, a revenue perspective for the business. You, know, you mentioned it. You bring up something really interesting, Drew, which is, you know, obviously the trust is a huge component. We talk about trust on our, you know, on our show all the time in our community and how it just drives everything. But you touched on something that I think is interesting for the audience to understand, right? You're not just managing the relationship with your client or a potential client. You're also managing the relationship with subject matter experts in so many different domains mm. that you have to feel extremely comfortable with them walking into a sales opportunity and they're not going to blow up your deal <laughs> or you've got the right resource or, you know, so tell a little, you know, if you can just, you know, how do you manage the internal you know, relationships as much as you're managing those external ones? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, it's, it's spot on. I, I think, you know, the, the majority of my time in business development or, or sales capacity in the cybersecurity realm specifically has been as an overlay. I think that's kind of the proverbial model, right? You have, you know, whatever the nomenclature, core account managers or account executives who ultimately own the responsibility of driving the broader, more holistic portfolio and the capabilities therein to a specific account. Um, and so through my engagement uh, in that capacity, I realize and have to give a lot of merit to the time, the energy, the years, the blood, the sweat put into developing and fostering an account to the point where they want to talk about cyber. And so if I can turn that inward on myself and say, okay, you know, I know what it takes to engage on that front and drive credibility and a level of trust to even get access to the client. I have to take the same rigor, the same discipline, you know, around who I incorporate into these discussions because that person who let me into the account is trusting me to bring subject matter expertise that's not only going to be applicable and relevant and forward moving, but that is going to jeopardize years and years of work set forth to get the relationship to where it is today. So. Um, it goes both ways, and um, and those relationships, you know, like with subject matter experts across the board, it, it's it, the the only way you get there is through constant collaboration and knowledge transfer um, and true thought lead, thought leadership. You know, oftentimes we think thought leadership around brand enablement and marketing and what what kind of brand or DNA and profile do we want to establish in the market. That DNA, that brand, and that collaboration. And knowledge transfer is just as critical internally as, uh, as uh, you know, peers and coworkers. Yeah, for, for sure, brother, for sure. I mean, that's where you and I, I think, built up our relationship from the start. Yeah. Really to, to dig, dig deep into what you're doing now on the delivery side and how you made that transition. But all right, folks, we need to transition into commercial break here. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. And you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7, that's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited network. We're going to solve some problems together, folks. I promise you, Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the head of Capgemini's, the VP, Capgemini's North American Practice, 
Mr. Drew Moorfield. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover lifecycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem superconnector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. We're not your typical security vendor. In fact, the script for this ad was written by an engineer, not a marketing guru. Because at Sock Prime, we're focused on features that matter to our users. Our threat detection marketplace has over 30,000 cross-platform SIM and EDR rules. Our downloadable Sigma, Yara, and Snort detections can be deployed with just a few clicks. And our map to the MITRE ATT&CK framework, enabling quicker and more strategic detection. With support from Sock Prime's veteran team and our community of contributors, we bridge the blue team skills gap and cover emerging threats with daily releases of new content. Nearly three-quarters of the threat detection marketplace is free to download. Register for free at tdm.sockprime.com with promo code RADIO2019 to receive one free key to unlock premium content. That's tdm.socprime.com. Promo code RADIO2019. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, Vice President of the North American Cybersecurity Practice from Capgemini, Mr. Drew Moorfield. Hey. Drew, I got to tell you, man, like we've worked a lot together in the past, and I've always wanted to ask you this question, which is, what is your favorite service to sell? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I think about what had me kind of fall in love with, with cybersecurity. Um, and it's, it's when, you know, you and I started working closely together. Um, and there was a string of, you know, unfortunately for the enterprise space, but there was a, a time where there were three or four really material uh, breaches at the time, some of the most significant in size and impact. Um, and I remember thinking as being part of some of those, you know, meetings and, and discussion continuums and what was at stake and, the, the difference in conversation at the most senior level within an organization, like, you know, this is a completely different ball game. This is a completely hemisphere from what, you know, been selling application security testing or some level of SDLC work or, or some level of pen testing to, to be able to pivot and, and, and drive discussions in the IR and forensic space. And then of course, just the proverbial pull through or tailwinds of those discussions if executed successfully you know, from remediation to operational road mapping to all of the critical and foundational elements of managing enterprise risk, it just opened up the floodgates. So historically, it was it was certainly IR and forensics. I think as you know, you fast forward to today, um, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in the um, AI space. Um, we're doing a lot of research globally, which I'm responsible for, and extending our portfolio so that we can synthesize and manage and report on and mitigate risk across you know, traditional IT, of course, cloud, IoT, and now OT. Uh, we had a strategic acquisition recently that gave us more density and maturity and, and managing critical um, uh, industrial critical systems and uh, a lot in the utility space that, uh, that, that's really interesting as well. So being able to solve challenges across all four um, with either traditional cybersecurity services that are still relevant today or around some of the new capabilities like the tax simulation services that help us uh, manage new risk on the horizon for the customers that we're engaged with today. Um, all of that I find really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned kind of that, that time where we started to, to work together because, you know, I, I've mentioned on this show before, like I feel like I got a PhD in something you can't go to school for. Mm. Uh, you know, with some of the cases I've investigated or some of the IR consulting that we were doing back then. I mean, 
you're right. I mean, data breach was was not new necessarily, but the frequency and the the public nature of them, and the scope and scale and kind of the you know the to some extent the industry freakout that was happening mm. at that point was just so crazy. And you know, we were able to. And in your point around you know building trust, I mean, man, if you're not, and I think you and I have talked about this back then, like if we're not the company's like, shoulder to cry on when they get when they're victimized from a, a breach, right? Like, then don't bother going in, right? Because it's just you know people forget how companies grieve, like people grieve. They're they're victimized, they're victims of a crime, and yeah, reading yeah. to that trust and that relationship, and you don't want to try to build that relationship, you know, at the time of a of an assault, right? Like you want to be the person that they pick up the phone and call. You know, you're almost their nine one one call, right? Um, and so, you know, that speaks to the relationships you build. Um, but, you know, it's interesting from how that's transpired from, from then. I mean, the privacy conversation back then was different than compared to, say, the privacy conversation today. Like, what's the trend there that you're seeing um, from, from back then when privacy was more around, you know, still notification and all those things? But I think now it's changed with GDPR. Like, just, what, what's that trend been like for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the 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 extension of of privacy uh, against a, a broader GRC framework and discussion is is, is alive and well and, and highly relevant based on what we're seeing in the market. You know, of course, working for a French company and where GDPR you know, arose from, and then obviously it's 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 relevant and appropriate spread uh, into into all regions. Um, it has raised the game and the level of rigor expected from the corporation around, you know, the ability to be forgot. Um, certainly, as you mentioned, notification, but the being, you know, to me, ultimately, it means being, having to prove and the onus being on the organization of being the absolute best stewards of the data that you're responsible for and that you retain. Um, B2B, B2C, certainly on the B2C front, um, it's incredibly important, you know, we, we, we had a discussion around trust from a sales or even a delivery standpoint to a customer, you know, the trust needed, uh, you know, from a, a corporation to the market, uh, private or public, is incredibly important. And all of that becomes jeopardized if, you know, a, God forbid a breach were to happen and then, you know, as investigation and containment starts, you know, realize some real basic things that could have been done um, weren't or weren't adhered to. Um, and so businesses or consumers become even at greater risk um, just, just, you know, as a derivative of sharing information at a time when you deemed it appropriate either to recognize a transaction or to start a relationship. So um, we, we see the level of cognizance around privacy in general, um, or in, in, in the case of GDPR, the applicability of GDPR to the organization. I can't tell you how many months, you know, we were going into a GDPR gap assessment based discussion, if you will. Yeah. And the conversation, honestly, for like 90% of the meeting was convincing them that no, you, you absolutely, do you have customers in Europe? Do you have, you know, business partners in Europe? Do you have, you know, and at the end of the, the, the conversation, the validation of the applicability was there, and we could we could then pivot to its its relevancy to the to the business and the impact on the business. And, and make no mistake about it, you know we can say that you know the rigor is there and the expectation is there. This is a giant lift 
for many, many organizations. And like any other scenario, as you well know, Andy, you know, the level of maturity, operational maturity and rigor and, and hygiene, the higher that is, the easier the, the, the jump is. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the lower it is, those get exacerbated and a floodlight's put on them. And, and that, that jump or, or pivot to true GDPR, GDPR compliance becomes uh, a, a huge task. Not, not insurmountable, but certainly a, a huge lift for many organizations facing it. So, so look, man, you know, it dawned on me while we're having this conversation. I mean, and I've known you for a really long time and you've just covered so much different ground in your career. Like, how do you stay current? You know, like if you, you know, in, in terms of the new technologies, the, you know, the landscape, like what do you do for yourself to make sure that you can walk into the room and, and talk to your customers, you know, intelligently around all the myriad topics you're touching on here tonight? So, you know, to, just to be as concise and, 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 and to summarize as, as crisply as I can, I, I think it definitely gets back to, you know, knowing I don't know everything. Um, and surrounding myself by true thought leaders and subject matter expertise that you know takes the dumb out of me and allows me to be relevant and deliver outcomes or content or ideas uh, to the clients and prospects that I'm engaged with. Um, I, I think the notion of you know being really comfortable, being uncomfortable, um, and allowing yourself to 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 go into situations or experience things that are new. <clears throat> if you can get past that discomfort, you know, like everything else, it will be comfortable after a while. And that typically, for me, yields and, and you know, knowledge base or actuarial data or details that I can really apply relevantly that can make me as much of a subject matter expert as I need to be in a particular area. I think that's incredibly important. You know, you and I are great friends and love talking to you and trust you emphatically. I did this. I said yes, because I'll do anything for you. The reality is 10 minutes before the start, I got butterflies, which sounds insane. But I even t I'll use this as an example, right? Be able to rap with a guy like you and experience that you have. And, you know, hopefully my, my feedback or, or input is, is of some value. But having this kind of conversation, you know, challenging my thinking in certain areas or asking the questions I haven't been asked before in a long time, all of that, I think, you know, keeps, keeps, you know, allows you to keep your teeth sharp, if you will. Um, and then it's, you know, it's continuously, you know, for me, I have a kind of a, a schedule Monday through Friday where, you know, I'll try to get a workout in, hopefully, um, but I'll read something oriented with work, whether it's something I got to achieve for the day or a customer I'm getting ready to talk to that I don't know much about or a presentation I'm getting ready to present at a conference that I don't know much about its audience or the content, God forbid. Um, so I'll use the first 30 to 45 minutes of my day before I plug in electronically to try to learn something new. Um, and sometimes that's even reading. Um, there's a few books that uh, I've really benefited from historically that, uh, you know, so I, I try to continue reading uh, as much as I can. So, so one of the things I think you've done great in navigating your career, you know, first one, number one by far, and something I appreciate everybody is check your ego at the door, right? You've been able to do that since the moment we started working together and man, you've been highly successful and it makes you extremely successful, you know, in your, you know, in your, as you progress your career. And I, and I love seeing that. The other thing I think that you do well is that you you roll up your sleeves and you get in there, right? Like, you're not just focused on the deal, you're focused on delivery and outcomes, right? 
know, can you tell our audience a little bit, Eric, what's the difference between sales and delivery and how do you approach that? Oh man, there are so many differences. I, you know, as you know, um, I, you know, and it gets back to some of the things, you know, at least I can exhibit in some places that I, I practice what I preach. You know, I, I made a purposeful decision to get really uncomfortable in 2016 where, you know, I made a, a, a huge, you know, kind of fork in the road and went from sales and, and business development and people management to delivery management. And uh, initially that was focused on building out a project and consulting practice in North America, which then extended to traditional and, and non-traditional, I can explain that later if, if relevant, uh, managed security services. Um, you know, the shift for me, you know, one of the biggest ones I think is instead of worrying about where my next deal is going to come from, worrying about where my next resource is going to come from. And, um, from a sustainability, from a quality, from a brand, from a, a relationship management perspective, the better, uh, we're, we're only as good as our people, especially in the delivery space. And, and, and so for me, it's not only identifying, capturing and onboarding and effectively allocating talent but it's, it's allocating the right talent and, and finding truly, you know, good, hungry, motivated, knowledgeable, but still moldable, which is for me the definition of humility, human beings that really want to contribute um, to top line and, and really want to be able to make a difference. And so there's a caliber of human being um, married with a set of skill sets and or certifications that we're typically looking for. Um, in order to fulfill demand as, as quickly as possible. And we've done some things to, you know, what, one of my biggest focuses, again, was in sales is how to fill the pipeline, making sure I have three-to-one ratios between bookings and uh, booking expectation and, and, and pipeline itself to fuel that. Um, on, on the delivery side, I'm, I'm looking at how do I consolidate time between execution of contract and allocation of resource, getting on site, rolling his or her sleeves up and delivering the work we've committed to. Um, obviously, the, the quicker I could do that, the quicker we can recognize revenue. So the, the problems change, but the, the stress doesn't. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure, for sure. What was, I guess, what's the biggest, uh, you know, lesson learned kind of making this shift between sales and delivery? You know, it, it, it just breaking it down in the most simplistic fashion, I had spent, you know, 95% of my career being that guy on the other side of the table being like, look, you know, the relationship's there, the opportunity's validated, the budget's in place, I need a guy, How? when can I commit, when is my, you know, where's my resource? Having to be on the other side of the table to answer those questions, um, it, it's given me a really, it's given me a unique opportunity to know that what the impact of my contribution is, right? I know that the, the quicker we can find a resource, the quicker I can supplement uh, X engagement with, with, with X competency, not only is it a, is a top line revenue recognition thing, but it's the, the upside revenue that we instigate or enable um, uh, as a result. So it's, you know, it's, I, I think every good human being in our personal lives should have to wait tables at, at some point in their life. I think every, you know, sales professional at some point, you know, purposefully or, or accidentally should have some level of delivery and engagement level responsibility and, and have responsibility not only for the operational health, but the financial health um, of those engagements. And, and too often I see separation between, you know, what is contracted or what is scoped initially. 
um, and then what's expected between the client. So the more that we can inject and set forth our subject matter expertise up front and have those men and women who are going to be part of the engagement shaping the deal and driving scoping and discovery, the more relevant and effective our you know, go live is and the knowledge transfer is initially. So all those things are, are, are delicate but you know, critical to be successful long term. So, so we've talked on the show a little bit about, you know, kind of the, you know, look, cybersecurity, you know, and information security organizations are, they're, they're part of a business, right? They need to speak in business terms, but they also need to compete for business dollars, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and uh, you know, look, we, we, you know, we could be on the loom of a potential recession, right? Companies are, are, you know, accounting for every dollar, right? Right. Rightfully so, you know, companies that are in trouble are, you know, really struggling to figure out where they're going to place their money and companies that are really healthy are still doing transformative, you know, exercises to make sure they're tightening the belt in good time. So, you know, what are you seeing in terms of the, the competition for dollars within an organization for, for cyber these days? I mean, it's extreme. It's, it's very, very competitive um, and it's cliche, but I, I think that the more, um, one can establish himself as a true partner. I'm not even going to say trusted advisor because you can call me after and, and send me hate mail for even using the term. But, um, but, but for being a partner and, and understanding your business to the extent to where um, uh, the, the, the numbers associated or the recommendation associated to a known business challenge is, is on point. It's not over-architected. Um, but it's, it's more than adequate and it'll allow them to not only get healthy, but stay healthy in a certain area. As far as, you know, how, how customers are spending money, I think the more, um, the, the, there's more of a shift from selling or asking for bodies, uh, to selling and asking for programs. Um, and that's a key, there's, there's, there's a material difference, right? You're talking about, you know, either customer led resources who may or may not be a good cultural fit and who hopefully are, you know, near, if not as good as what it says on paper, because then you start getting into subcontracting and other things. Um, but where we can, we can stand up and, and manage programs, there's a level of efficiency expected year over year. There's a measurement of risk reduction that can be measured. Um, and managed uh, accurately and with fidelity. Uh, that's critically important to the business. The decisions or the recommendations that we can make uh, as a derivative of the program we're, we're, we're deliver- managing and the outcomes or, or impediments and complexities that we're uncovering or resolving for the client, it puts you in, a, in a, an extremely strategic and relevant position uh, to then recommend that what's next for that client, right? And ultimately, we try to put it in terms of at an executive level, what are the next two to three things that you must lower your shoulder into and resolve in order to, to, to manage or mitigate uh, and, and, and grow beyond the, the most, you know, the biggest challenges or the biggest risks that, a, that an organization stays in? So, yeah, I, so, so we've heard, you know, before, like, factory-based services or centers of excellence, like, you know, where does all that fit into the, you know, kind of where we are today? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, in, my, in my current role, um, you know, we, our DNA historically uh, was delivering managed security services from our, from our offshore delivery centers, our global delivery centers, we call them GDCs. Um, and, and that works and has worked and has driven a sustainable and growing business uh, 
um, for a certain kind of clientele um, who is okay from a risk and compliance perspective with um, consuming uh, services that are delivered from offshore, wherever that may be. Um, and we take great pride in the competency we have offshore and have built factories specifically, for instance, if you look at identity access management, you know, that's a broad, broad um, domain, as you know, and, and, and many, many subcomponents, um, far beyond provisioning and deprovisioning, which many organizations, it's, it's a critical task that we can do it at, at scale and, and, and volume. Um, but we built out, you know, factories specifically in the IAM space that allows us to deliver things like uh, identity as a service or, or what we call IEM fast tracks. You know, most IEM engagements that we see fail. Um, 72% plus of IEM engagements in the enterprise in the enterprise space are failing these days. And, and it's typically about un, unanticipated complexity or complexity itself. It's about, you know, it affecting uh, multiple aspects, BU to BU and multiple levels within the organization and trying to get them all on the same page to develop common roles or common objectives that benefit the broader business and that all are willing to pay for. Typically, that breaks down really quickly as complexity or slowdowns and latency is recognized. So we build a program that allows us to onboard critical applications quickly, um, show the artifacts, if you will, of that onboarding, which is evidence or validation of an effective onboarding itself, um, and then do that at scale so that we can accelerate the time of onboarding. We can show accelerated outcomes and efficiencies that weren't recognized by managing it internally. Uh, and then by doing so, as you well know, in the identity access management space, it, it opens up conversations around data risk classification, um, the, the broader application stack and how that's being secured, either web-based or mobile. Um, so you know, factory is a, is a huge play in allowing us to deliver volume or transaction-based services at scale um, and cost-effectively. Um, you know, the, the notion of a COE for us that's a center of excellence it's an opportunity or a mechanism that we leverage to ring fence and create critical talent hubs of subject matter expertise, all correlated directly to our portfolio and the critical capabilities therein. Um, so that depending on the opportunity, depending on the sector, um, depending on the client, we can allocate not only the right kind of competency, but relevantly um, allocate that competency so that we can establish technological um, delivery and company-to-company based trust and credibility so that uh, we have a good foundation to grow from. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like, you know, companies are looking, into your point, building programs, right? So you start to look at your, pro, your, your own, you know, information security program, you say, or enterprise risk management program, you say, where am I lacking? And, and, you know, would I ever be able to build it and build it at the speed at which I need to build it at the maturity level I need it? And if not, you know, do I look at a service or a program like that, right? Which I find fascinating. So I'm really interested to get um, your take on, you know, how is that trans to sell those types of services? How's that transition been for, for companies to, 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 to take that journey? You know, the, the, the reality is the, the, the vast majority of clients, um, vast majority, I'd say 70% plus aren't blocking and tackling uh, as effectively and consistently as would be expected in order to be able to pivot to such a program or be in a position to consume it relevantly, right? Um, so from tuning and configuration of your SIM to 
your perimeter controls to some level of data risk classification, how that permeates into your application stack, your identity access management program across the business, your development and definition of policy and the effective enforcement uh, of policy between both physical and cloud-based environments between you know, traditional IT assets and IoT assets. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 the changes or delineation in the OT cybersecurity space when you start talking about zero trust engineering, uh, zero do- downtime being acceptable, and of course, in many cases, you know, uh, breaches or security events, uh, including really material outcomes um, leading up uh, to, to loss of life in some situations. So, Across the board, depending on the organization and, and the sector in which they live in, um, it's inst- extremely important that you know operationally they're they're mature. Um, they have the right foundation and the critical c- critical components of an inter- enterprise risk framework in place um, for them to be able to synthesize and understand and react to. Um, and I know you and I have been in, in many different scenarios where we were quite clear on the impact. Um, the the genesis, if you will, from an environment or even asset and identity perspective in some cases, the containment is there, but the recommendation, no matter how spot on, relevant, and critical it may be, sometimes the organization just isn't in a position to consume it because it means a level of risk ownership and, and, and management, a level of, of, of monetary or technological investment for the interoperability and effectiveness that controls to be uh, where they need to be. So that, that can become a challenging conversation where, you know, we know as cyber professionals what the organization must do, but we're being asked and in many cases must come with some kind of concession, uh, be it, you know, the, the, the scale in which the investment or the control is put into place or the size of investment that is needed in order at least to be evidence of some um, learning and some maturity gained through uh, a potential breach that, that may have happened. Yeah, no, no doubt. But uh, I can't wait to dive into this a little bit more and, and, and a couple other topics here, Drew. But we've got to take a quick short break to hear from our sponsors. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from our special guest, Vice President of North American Cybersecurity Practice from Capgemini, Mr. Drew Moorfield. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Email is having an identity crisis. It's just too easy for attackers to spoof trusted brands or even the government. That's why over 80% of email attacks are based on fake identities. The solution is to stop the fakes before they get to the inbox. That's why enterprises use Valley Mail. It's a trusted identity-based email security solution. Find out if your domain can be spoofed and request a complete free phishing analysis at valleymail.com. Account takeover is the fastest growing form of cyber attack. Criminals exploit compromised accounts for financial gain, often causing irreparable and long-term damage to finances and reputation. Many companies think they're protected. They believe using a password manager, multi-factor authentication, behavior-based technology, password rotations, or solutions that scan the deep and dark web is enough. 
Yet the account takeover problem only continues to get worse. SpyCloud combines human intelligence and automated technology to prevent account takeover for your customers and employees. We recover stolen credentials early in the account takeover life cycle before the credentials are sold on dark forums. Check your exposure for free at spycloud.com. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Signet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, my man, the vice president of Capgemini's North American cybersecurity practice, Drew Moorfield. Drew, man, I've been watching you grinding it out year over year, killing it. But, man, you got to tell, tell the audience, like, what is the life like, the sales life? Break it down for everybody. You know, it, uh, it, you're, you're either cut out for it or you're not. You know, it's like... You know, I, I think there are a lot of things that can be learned, right? But if you were to walk up to me and tell me to run a four two forty, it's just not going to happen unless we make it like a ten, and then I could probably probably run a four two. So there's just I'm, I'm, some things you are, and some things you're not. You know, and, and not every good offensive coordinator makes a good head coach. Not every superstar sales engineer who who you know, consistently says, I could do that. I should be in sales, but doesn't understand, you know, what you take home with you and the kitchen, how the kitchen table conversations change and what you think about waking up on a Saturday or Sunday or the angst you have going into a Monday. It, uh, you got to be able to, what I've learned is, is there's a, a, a level of uh, compartmentalization that, that you got to do, especially if you work from home, which many of us do these days. You know, for me, oftentimes I'll work 12 hours and the only thing separated from me and my family is about 12 feet. And so, you know, the ability to, to shut it off and truly be present um, 
and, and to engage and, and be there for your kids, in my case, three sons and, you know, my wife, like that's what I wake up and do all this for, right? Uh, trying to be the best professional I can is not only about taking pride in my work, but ultimately it's about providing for my family. So not losing sight of, of what you got into the game to begin with for and, you know, knowing that in the sales space, man, you're, you know, in many cases, it, you, you could be at plan 11 months in a row, but we're in December, dude. What have you done? It's December 12th and we're light as an organization and you're our go-to. And what have you done for us in December? Right. And, and for me or, or one as a salesperson who's at plan going into Q4, you know, it's, it's oftentimes a delicate balance between what do I need to do to max out my accelerators, depending on his or her commission plan, and what can I do to ensure that my good work and some of the seeds planted start coming to fruition in a timely fashion going into Q1? You know, it's, 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 that's a hard, that's a hard uh, uh, continuum to manage, right, where the company needs uh, numbers to you know, meet shareholder expectations, which at the end of the day, you know, people matter, but results count and, and we're here to, to drive outcomes. So knowing that you're only as good as what you've recently contributed uh, is just a stark reality that, you know, if you can own and get motivated by, um, it, it could be a very, uh, a good, good, good livelihood. Um, where I see that oftentimes break down is, you know, if, if someone's getting into sales only for the money, ultimately that's going to break, right? You, you gotta, you gotta believe in what you're selling. You gotta believe that what you're selling makes a difference, that it adds value, that it truly solves problems. At the end of the day, you know, back to trust and credibility. Like the only thing ultimately that I really have at the end of the day is, is my brand and my work, right? And and so whatever commitments I'm making, whatever deals I'm selling, whatever you know, agreements I'm making, I gotta be able to stand behind those. Um, and oftentimes I think people see you know, that changing or their level of confidence in what they're selling go down because of the outcomes they're seeing around them and other scenarios, but they stay the course because the money's too good. Um, and, and, and so as a salesperson, it's, it's incredibly important to understand when you've kind of reached an inflection point where you know, maybe the product was good at one point or the solution was relevant at one point, but it's not any longer. And how can I be most beneficial or most valuable to an organization by shifting my focus and my, my experiences, my successes and my failures into another arena or even into another vertical uh, where I can make the same contribution and save the same problems in the same capacity. It's, it's a tough challenge to face. Yeah, I mean, talk about working like right, twelve feet from your family, and I know you're you're a very active, you know, parent, right? So you got you got baseball, and you're on the field, and you're tournament, and you're all over the place, like, and, and you know, and I like to pride myself on the same. So you know, how do you recover, man? Like, how do you you know you go in from the twelve, fourteen hour day? You're on the road when you're not at home. You're on the plane. Um, you know, that wears, wears you down. You get home, you close the door from your office, you take two, three steps, and boom, you're dead and husband right away. You know, what are you doing to recover and make that transition, you know, when, you're, when you put down the mouse and close the laptop? Yeah, um, it's a great question. And it's different for everyone. And I think just finding that thing or those things that keep you balanced and, and rejuvenated and uh, level-headed, clear-headed, um, it's, it's, it's so important, man, because we we're getting bombarded by 
you know, professional responsibilities, social responsibilities, and of course, family uh, responsibilities. For me, you know, a couple things. Working out is is huge. Um, I think it makes me a better better boss, better human being, certainly better father and husband. I hear. Um, and you know, for when when I don't know about you, but when I turned forty, you know, things just started breaking. I didn't even know I had right, and so you know, when you talk about travel. Um, which is by far probably the, the biggest part of the grind. It's something I do way more than I'd like to admit. It's just part of it right now. Um, the, 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 the nutrition choices I make, right? I remember being early 30s and, you know, my, my decisions at a restaurant, if I was at home with family paying or if I was on the road at a client dinner were, were drastically different. Right, right. Uh, right. And so from steaks to salads. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, almost two different lives. And, and so I got that in check. Right. And so, you know, it's trying to be consistent, uh, both in, in, you know, nutrition, I'm not, I'm not counting things, but I know what my body likes and doesn't, I know what I need to, to thrive and what would, would load me down. And you try to balance that while treating yourself sleep, man, it's like, it's, it's everything, right? The, the difference, uh, if you engage with me on five hours of sleep or six and a half to seven hours of sleep is major, as you probably told on some days without having the conversation. So, um, yeah, I think sleep is critical. Um, and then, you know, it, 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 it is more and more hard to do, but unplugging, right? Like, you know, there, there's just a certain time at night that no matter how critical um, or game changing, like it's not going to be solved that night. And so, you know, I'm an early riser. I get up early. I try to set or, you know, calibrate early on the day's priorities of what I need to do, but that typically follows a workout. Um, and so there's nothing 99% of the time, anything that I need to pop on and, and solve for, or, you know, do some discovery against and resolve over the course of the day. Um, most of that, uh, could be, you know, managed and prioritized first thing, first thing in the morning. So, um, having, having a cutoff, you know, stay in balance and, and humble with your family, staying plugged in or active, as you said, is incredibly important to me. You know, the other side of it that's really interesting, I never, uh, either never or often don't give enough merit to is the family's sacrifice, right? I mean, you know, I, I took my son to World Series, uh, US, U baseball tournament. It's a great opportunity for him. It's in Orange Beach. My family had never been there. Um, half the time I was on the phone, right? It's just, you know, because I had to be. Um, and my, I think my kids have just naturally evolved to where there's not even a thought around, you know, dad's not paying attention and he's on the phone. It's, dad needs to be on the phone, but he's at my game. And when I'm up, I know I'll be paying attention. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the balancing act that is a delicate one and sometimes a difficult one. But if it's, if it's there, if that balance is there, then everything um, seems to be more manageable. Yeah, I mean, you bring up some great points, man, right? I mean, you know, and I look back at kind of the resources I have at my disposal now, uh, you know, later in my career as an executive. And, you know, I think you and I have talked about this before. Like, man, what, what are some of the things that you wish you had, that you wish you knew early on in your career that you know now that you know you want to share with folks coming up in the game? Kids grow up really fast, man. And, um, you know, no matter what, title uh, I was going after, what deal I was chasing, or what money that represented, um, I'd be, you know, a pathological liar to sit here and say that I've always prioritized that or managed that well. 
Um, you know, I think there were times where I almost felt like an absent father and probably, you know, was felt about that way, you know, by my family at times. So um, knowing that things are getting out of balance and having the, the confidence um, and the communication skills to, to kind of recalibrate either with your boss or with your team um, and, and, and have agility and, and, and the ability to manage fluidity in your schedule to make it all work. I think, you know, having the confidence to put them first tangibly and, and visibly at times uh, wasn't something I was willing to do when I was younger. And now I'm uh, not only willing to do it, but it's, it's appreciated, respected, and known um, but by those that I work, you know, most closely with. And, and you know, I reciprocate that, right? If you lead with family first, um, you know, as a people leader and a business manager, I, you know, and as a human being, I know that you, you know, who are part of my team, if I prioritize and pay attention and give merit and have empathy towards a situation or a circumstance or a complexity that one is managing on the personal or financial or, or home front, um, and that can be resolved to the extent possible and as timely as possible, that just makes them that much better at the job. If not, it's a continuous habitual distraction and one that impacts the business, it impacts their brand, and, and ultimately, uh, if, if long-term enough, they're, they're positioned within the practice, which is unfortunate for everyone. So I think just, you know, knowing that, you know, we're, we're, we're all trying to solve a lot of things in a before and after work, um, you know, giving merit to that and giving people the, um, the flexibility to handle those things on the fly, no matter when they come up and, and the faith or confidence that it'll be managed to completion when necessary, um, you know, gives people the, the, autonomy and the freedom to, um, to, to manage multiple different challenges or, or conflicting priorities at one time. Yeah, it's great. It's great to hear that, right? I don't think enough leaders are, are thinking about communicating that, right? And leading by example in terms of like, it's okay to focus on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. It, and by the way, it's been a long time since someone called me up and said, you know what? I've been thinking about it. You're not, you know, you're not focusing on yourself enough. You need to go get a massage. You need to take a day off, maybe take an after an hour to work out, right? If you don't do that, um, no one else is going to be doing it for you. And, and, and hopefully you have a manager, a leader, a mentor. you got to have someone in your corner um, that understands your, your strengths and your deficiencies. Um, you know, my, my strongest relationships over my career have been those that um, I have the trust and the, the – the respect and the, the credibility bi-directionally with someone to where they can just straight up call me out on a blind spot. And I don't know, you know, I, I, I really self-assess often. I do a lot of inventory, you know, you know, the day or the week on what I did well, what I need to improve on, who I didn't spend enough time with, what I need to reprioritize. I, I think we need to personally and professionally do that consistently. Um, but, but being able to, um, to, to do that on a consistent basis and engage with your team in that manner, I think makes, makes a big difference. Yeah. Fantastic. You're looking, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. And uh, looking forward to catching up soon over a salad and instead of a steak. <laughs> okay. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, okay. Folks, it's time for us to bounce up on out of here. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the cybersecurity hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in and listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay cool out there.
Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 